Well, if there's one subject that seems to come up consistently with our clients and potential clients, it's the issue of the their EMR rates. And so we've actually taken your questions and we've brought it to the experts. And so we've brought in both Kyle and Alan from Higginbotham Insurance. And so they are here and they've joined our podcast and are going to answer uh, many of the questions that you guys have given that to us. Guys, welcome to the podcast. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourselves. Thank you, Holly. This is Kyle Shelock. Um, I'm in the property and casualty uh, business. Been been doing this for over a decade, working with different workers' comp carriers and different property and liability carriers. Um, and my partner here, Alan Ponder. Uh, I'm the AVP Loss Control here in Houston. I'm kind of a uh, roaming subject matter expert in energy, oil, and gas casualty lines. And uh, we do a lot of work in the oil field, a lot of construction. About 25 years in safety with the insurance carriers and five years in uh, a large metal building manufacturer. So I've experienced a lot of experience modification issues. Wow. We're thrilled to have you because obviously we have lots of questions, as I mentioned. Um, I'll go ahead and just kind of jump into some of these. So maybe if you guys can, can, before we kind of get into the details, let me just ask you a a generalized question. Of what is the significance of an an employer's EMI? Well, great question. Um, I think the easiest way I like to explain it um, is thinking of an individual uh, with their with their credit, and th- that is your credit for the business from a workers' compensation standpoint. And so, when you're applying for a loan and you have to have quality credit to, to qualify, think of this as you're you're sending out prospective clients, um, and you have to have a e modifier that falls below a 1.0 in order to qualify as a prospective vendor. So um, it is it is one of the most important critical pieces of, of generating new business. It also has a direct impact on your workers' compensation premiums in that you are either receiving debits or credits based on your experience. Um, so everything derives around this modifier when it comes to workers' compensation, employee safety, um, and creating new, new business. Alan, did I leave anything out? No, that's, that's good. Perfect. Perfect. And so really that this kind of is a cost driver for them as well then, is that is that correct? Right. Okay. All right. And so in terms of how that this this is EMOD is calculated, can you can, can give us basically kind of a description there on how you come up with some of these numbers and, and what goes into those calculations? So it's a very, very detailed formula, but to break it down simply, um, we're calculating not the current year, we're calculating the three prior years. Um, typically, a, an EMOD is calculated six months from the policy expiration date based on the last three years. Um, and it's going to take into consideration all premiums paid, which um, also includes the payroll of the company. Um, it also includes all losses in the last three years for work-related injuries. It's also going to include your SIC codes loss losses. And I think that's kind of the big question when folks... Um, see their new experience modifier come in higher than it did the last year and they didn't experience a single loss they're wondering how their modifier went up well a part of that is the SIC code that they're in may be experiencing a heavy amount of losses and it has a direct impact on their own modifier so there's certain things that are within their control but there are also other things that are out of their control so it's it's critically important and this is where Alan comes in um, to be doing everything you can from an employee and a safety perspective uh, to avoid everything that you can control. I uh, have a good example of the things that can happen to you out of your control. Uh, out in West Texas uh, last year or two years ago, we had a double fatality. Uh, 
truck wreck, of course, out there. Uh, it wasn't our fault, no fault of our own. Another driver hit our driver. Uh, we had these two individuals in the vehicle. They were brother-in-laws, 26 and 19 years old. The claim occurred out in the middle of nowhere, under no one's control out there. Uh, to make a very long story short, the person that hit our truck was insured, but they were not in the oil field, so they had minimum limits of about $750,000, which won't make a dent in a double fatality claim. Sure. Uh, our customers, workers' comp, had to take that claim after that $750,000. Had they been an oil field truck, they would have had a higher limit and a surplus lines umbrella. Um, our customer is a very large customer out there, and their experience mile was 0.69 negotiated. Kyle will talk about negotiated miles here shortly. Uh, but their real mile was a 0.88. And after this claim, because we had to handle the big portion of that work comp claim, their mod is now going to be a 1.35 probably. Wow, that's a significant difference. And they are, they were at one time a, a I think it's at .70, you are a preferred vendor on ISNet World. Mm -hmm. uh, they were at .69, we negotiated that for them. Uh, and this will now probably throw them into uh, I don't know what it's going to do to them, but we asked their CFO what that preferred vendor status in ISNet world at that point six nine did for his company. So that probably made us $150 million a year Wow! because of that. Now that is probably gone now with us. We will probably write some kind of a variance letter for them in time just to see whether or not they'll take it because sure. that was of no fault of our own. Right. So, but they are now tagged with that 1.35 mile. Mm. Wow, that's so significant. It is significant. It's a lot of money on their premium. Absolutely. So, so. Well, and it decreases their opportunities for work. Right. Yeah. 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 So. so you brought up a point about um, about negotiation. Kyle, did you have something that you wanted to add to that? Were there some changes that has have recently occurred with mm -hmm. modification? It is absolutely the hottest topic in workers' compensation world right now. Um, so, First off, um, not all states have adopted NCCI, uh, which is the third party that, that calculates most states' uh, workers' compensation modifiers. Texas has adopted NCCI. NCCI is a third party out of Florida. Um, I think there's more than 40 states that have formally adopted NCCI as their formal experience modifier um, analysis. And what, what happened essentially over the past couple of years is the Texas state law said um, prior to July 1 of 2018, uh, we allowed for renegotiation of modifiers. So let's, let's break down why you would want to renegotiate a modifier. Well, baseline modifier is 1.0. In order to win business in most cases, um, you have to supply an experience modifier with your bid that shows less than a 1.0, showing your safety, experience, etc. Anything above a 1.0 hinders potential opportunities. So in 2018, the law was passed for effective date of July 1 of 18 that no longer can a workers' compensation carrier and an insured renegotiate the workers' compensation mod. Most of the time they were renegotiated not from a, getting credits on your workers' compensation premiums, but more so to continue to stay in business and creating new bids. Mm -hmm. 
and there was a lot of anxiety in the beginning of 2018, so the Texas state law decided to extend that date one year to July 1, 2019. That law is now in force, so no longer can carriers renegotiate modifiers. So when clients um, and businesses go out and try to bid jobs in the construction oil and gas world that have above a 1.0 mod, they may be experiencing some difficulties winning bids. Um, so those law changes are, are having a major impact. We won't see the full ramifications um, until the 12, first 12 months are over, but I think we're going to be seeing a lot more mergers, acquisitions, a lot, new, a lot of new um, companies being created because other companies are having to go out of business because of this sure. change. Um, and so the entire industry is reacting to this right now. So it sounds like this is really a game changer then. It is. Wow. And so you bring up the subject of, of M and A there. And so whenever whenever there is M and A activity, then if they, whenever they're they're bringing on another organization, then do they also have to take the the e mod that that organization that they they are bringing on? I think it's just depending on how they write the account and who whose program picked up the insurance. Ah, okay. Sometimes it's different. It, uh, uh, Generally doesn't get worse. Mm -hmm. It would. It might get better because you have larger numbers. Oh, that's a good if point. you put them okay. all together with all the uh, more payroll, maybe the other side has much better accent mm -hmm. uh, history. Okay. So it is well. The answer is depends. Okay. Yes. And so this kind of brings us then to another discussion of uh, the sliding scale experience period. So maybe can you guys give us a little bit of an ex explanation in terms of what, what this is, what they're looking at, and, and why sometimes these numbers are confusing? Sure. Uh, so, the, so the sliding scale is just fancy term for the last three years. So again, we're not calculating the current year <coughs> in place. We're calculating the prior three years. And so as each year renewal comes up, your new modifier is calculated six months in your policy term. That sliding scale roll off the last, the fourth year, and it'll just continue to slide. So as Alan always says, you don't want your, your low loss year to be the one, the first one to roll off. <laughs> you you want to have an impact of, of having your, your, your worst years roll off on, on the three-year sliding scale. But great question. Huh. Okay, so this takes us then to really kind of the million dollar question of what is it that organizations can do to impact this number? Well, there's several things you can do. Uh, I'll give you a brief list. You need a good, solid uh, return to work program, modified duty, transitional duty work, whatever you want to call it, it's light duty work. Uh, you want a good safety program, you got to have those things in place. A great culture more than a program. You need to be uh, very careful about the subcontractors you hire. Sure. An uninsured con contractor can be a problem. Talk about that just a little. Uh, and then you need to review your work comp classification codes. Make sure that you are accurate with your with your codes, your NAICS codes or your SI the old SIC codes. Those will. Uh, if they're wrong, could lead you into an audit problem. So those are at least the four things. But the most important, the first thing I, I like to see uh, is the return to work program. The, uh, that is sometimes a no-go for some work comp carriers if you don't have one. Wow. It's, it's uh, important to them. Uh, really, it's the first line of defense after a claim. You had a claim. All right, what are we going to do with the claim now to mitigate it? 
we want all of these things to be as the, the comp claims to be as small or inconsequential or self-handled if you have to uh, as you can make them because that's where you're, you'll affect your experience modifier and those those uh, return to work programs are important you need uh, you need generally a third party to help you report those like axiom sure eventually uh, they'll may be the first call the second call may be to you they can help steer that claim to keep your recordability down overall uh, which is to start uh, past that you need to really um, know where you sent those your injured employee mm -hmm. uh, you don't want an employee employer unfriendly clinic you need to talk to your claims folks the folks at axiom can tell you where they're at who's who's who and where to go right, right. Uh, if not you'll find yourself with a long lost time maybe uncontrollable claim uh, there's there's a lot of those things out there once you get started the first thing to do is get that drug test <laughs> you got to have a post-accident drug test your claim could stop right there Wow. You hope not, but there's a big shot for that right, right. Uh, these days. Uh, you want to research and make sure you've got that friendly employer clinic out there. Somebody is going to listen to you. To take that farther, you need to invite that doctor or his nurse or his PA or the office manager out to your location and show them your light-duty jobs. Help them understand the yeah, occupational they, piece of that. Absolutely. Yeah. If they understand it, and if they're comfortable that you can manage the restrictions in that job and in your facility, you are more likely to get that guy back on a light duty job, which is already reducing the cost of that claim. Mm -hmm. um, those clinics are important and you need to do that. The more confidence they have, the better it is for you and your claim and your EMR. You have to manage the restrictions. The employee should not be managing his restrictions. You need a job description. Uh, it could be he can do 90% of his job. It could be he can't do his job, but he can do something. You have to know what those are. It's important to do that. Uh, people are out there. You have to have that drug test. You got to make sure you're getting the right one. A DOT if it's a driver, non-DOT drug test if it's not. Uh, and those things are are all important. Uh, and if you get it all done properly, it'll, it'll kind of give you some relief on your OSHA 300 logs. So. That's just an overall deal, but that's that's a lot. Uh, developing a, a a second thing to do, but just make sure you have that safety culture in place. In the oil field, that stop work authority is important. The JSAs are important. You know the hazard assessments are important. PPE, those things, make sure that happens. The guys have to be knowledgeable that they have stop work authority. If they can stop the job reset do it safely that's what we need to do with those uh, we talked a little bit about uninsured subcontractors mm -hmm. if you have an uninsured subcontractor and he becomes injured you only have two options one is to accept the claim <laughs> so now you got a work comp claim from a guy you don't know and you didn't hire right and you don't know him uh, you're gonna have to get him a drug test maybe uh, and the those those were important so you need to make sure they have workers comp some accident plan is something acceptable to you and your customers when they're on your site. Uh, those, if it's not the comp coverage, it can, it can go into a third party liability claim. And that's sky's the limit and you're in big trouble with that. Wow. So, and then the, really the last one is just to make sure that you have 
your uh, SIC coach, your NAISC coach, known, accurate, and you can let uh, your, your comp people help you with that. You do not want some audit later. You know, Kyle, give us your example of, yeah. a, of one of those. <clears throat> Appreciate that. We, I love real life examples. So um, I was working with a uh, potential client a few years ago, um, and I won't talk about the industry that they were in, uh, but when we were reviewing their workers' compensation, uh, we, we obviously were analyzing their experience modifier and just checking to make sure everything was in order um, before we proceeded. And we, we started looking into their class codes that they had um, their workers' comp placed through, and it was incorrect. Although it seemed initially that it might have been the class code they fit in, if you further read the description, it was exactly the opposite of what they were doing. Um, and they were receiving a much lower rate because of it. Oh, wow. It was having an effect on their experience modifier, and then they were also receiving low workers' compensation premiums. Workers' comp carriers have, by law, three years that they can go back and collect through an audit. Mm -hmm. So if, if the, the auditor for the workers' compensation carrier were to find that in his audit, um, they have the ability to go back three years and charge the correct premium per that class code. Um, so it, it is critically important if you're trying to potentially change your mod that before you start going anywhere, I would say check for your accuracy on your current modifier and you can work with your broker um, to help you going through this. The first thing I would check is to ensure that your payroll on your experience modifier is accurate. Uh, payroll has a direct impact on your modifier. Um, your loss history over those last three years, um, you want to you want to verify those per your loss runs by the workers comp carrier that they are accurate so that your losses are accurately reported and you're not having losses um, exceed what actually was reported. Um, another real life example just to kind of go back a little bit uh, this may happen because of the mergers and acquisitions, etc. I had a contractor years ago that was that had multiple businesses, and it was a family business. And one of their other businesses was a janitorial service um, account, and they were all tied within the same experience modifier because they were technically owned by the family. So the, the janitorial service had a near fatality, uh, pure accident, but it was about a $7.5 million workers' comp loss. The, the business that generates the revenue for this family was on the contracting side. You can see how this has a direct impact on the contracting side. And so what we had to do was investigate the ownership of each one of those entities. And what we found was each of those entities were actually owned by different individuals of the family. So we submitted a report over to NCCI to, to see about correcting the combinability of those two. Lo and behold, because they had different ownership structures, they all separated into different experience modifiers. The contractor was back in business. There was no effect on the contractor. Um, the janitorial service uh, is not even large enough to generate an experience modifier, so it was a win-win-win across the board. But I just point that out before you throw your hands up in the air. Investigate, talk with your broker, have conversations. Is there anything else we can look at? Is there anything that may be inaccurate? Um, or is there anything that we can control? Um, and lastly, I would just say that, you know, working with your broker, um, you know, they may or may not have the capabilities, but, but one thing that we can do um, is we work with uh, mod, mod forecasting. 
Um, and so when clients are, are looking at potentially a, a, a rough year next year with the new workers' comp modifier, um, we can start projecting and forecasting what that may look like and what they need to do in order to avoid an experience modifier jumping, jumping up. So um, it's always good to be forecasting. It's always good to be communicating with your brokers and all of their safety representatives to try to do everything you can to keep your modifier within sync of what's going on. Excellent. That's great information. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't discussed to this point um, that would be of uh, interest related to this subject matter that I haven't asked you about? Obviously, that you guys have pointed out the, the importance of, of maintaining a, an appropriate occupational health plan there, and it sounded like that, that is really a key, a key piece of, of that, some of the back end. That's of the only thing you can do after a claim. Yeah. That's the only way. Or you can go to mitigate a claim, trying to keep it as small as possible. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, at one time in the past, uh, frequency drove the experience modifiers, mm -hmm. and now it's severity really drives them. And if you have any frequency at all, it makes it worse. Wow. So it's, it's, you have to be careful, you know, out there and safe. So. It's something that's kind of become um, more common in, in recent years is many workers' comp carriers are offering deductibles, which was something that was more unheard of a decade ago. Um, the reason why I would like to you know, bring that up in, in certain topics mainly is to kind of eliminate some of the frivolous small, law, the frivolous small entries that are happening on the job site. I mean, I, most underwriters will tell you, frequency of claims have a much bigger impact than the severity of claims. And so for that regard, if you have 10 losses that are under $2,500 and those all have been reported to the work comp carrier, that's going to have a major impact on your experience modifier, which if you had had built in, call it a $2,500 deductible on your workers comp carrier, you would absorb all of those small claims and they wouldn't be reported into your modifier so they right. wouldn't have a direct impact, impact on your experience right. yeah. modifier. Yeah. Most of the insurance carriers understand there's self-handling of claims out there. Right. You have to be careful with self-handling of claims. Mm -hmm. uh, it's generally wise to notify your carrier to say, I'll take care of this one, but it's reported. This is report only. Mm -hmm. uh, they have some, it's a deductible amount or it could be just in their head, they'll take the first $500, mm -hmm. but it's reported. If it goes more than 30 days unreported, they may deny the claim. Hmm. So you don't want to get to that, right. but you do You do want to, you know, those little nuisance claims like that affects your mod. They pay one penny, mm -hmm. it's on, it could be calculated on your mod. So it's clarify that with your carrier, all their claims, have a process, take care of yourself, mm -hmm. do all you can to do that. Return to work is important. Deductibles are really good if you can, if you got the money to handle it. Right. And then the, uh, it all protects your mod. Okay. And I'll always remember that the, the National Council for Compensation Insurance is not um, exclusive with all 50 states. Um, in fact, I think California is still on their own. They still handle their own analysis. Of course, you've got the monopolistic states that you can only buy workers' compensation through the state. Um, so I just point that out that not every single state will have NCCI uh, experience modifiers. Okay. Guys, thank you again. We appreciate your, your um, information that you've been able to add to this and, and um, you know, answering our questions, et cetera. 
tell us how it is that we can get in touch with you if someone needed insurance assistance how it is it that they can get in touch with you directly well um Kyle Shelock is my name. My number is 713-591-9512. You can check us out at www.higginbotham.net. Um, we are the largest private broker in Texas uh, with over 30 offices throughout the state. We have offices in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Georgia as well. We are continuing to expand and grow. Um, we have full day two services, as we like to tag, that include our loss control department, our contract review department, um, we have claims management of executives of former claim adjusters. Um, we have a full employee benefits uh, department and financial services that include life insurance, annuities, mm -hmm. et cetera. And uh, we welcome your call. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, guys. We appreciate it. Thank appreciate you. you. If you're looking to improve your own occupational health program, we want you to contact us at Axia Medical by visiting our website, which is www axiomllc.com or by giving us a call at 877-502-9466. With our in-house OSHA trained nurses available 24-7 and occupational health programs, we're navigating employees through the entire life cycle. From pre-hire to retire, we partner with our clients to improve a company's bottom line with a healthy and safe workforce.